Today we're going to be continuing our Made for Mission series and talking about what is our mission. And we're going to be in Luke 9 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we'll be getting to reading that in just a moment. And we're going to be starting off a little differently this morning. We're going to pretend that the Apostle Peter kept a diary. And in his diary that's been recently discovered by archaeologists, you know, in pretend, we're going to read the excerpt that deals with Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. So in this uh, diary, I'll start reading what he wrote. Peter wrote, I've been following Jesus for over a year now, and I still don't understand him or why he does what he does. Today, Jesus was teaching for an entire day. A couple of us casually approached him to mention that the people were probably hungry and they still had a long walk back to their villages. Jesus turns to us and said, you give them something to eat. Now, Jesus should know that we don't carry enough food with us to feed 5,000 men, much less the women and children there. There's probably just about 20,000 people there. So I'm wondering how he expects us to feed all these people. Then somebody brings a kid to us and then presents him to Jesus. Apparently, this kid's mother had packed him a small lunch so that he could be able to eat while he was there seeing Jesus. He has a couple small fish and some bread. Jesus takes that, prays over it, and turns it into enough food to feed all of those people. Again, 15 to probably 20,000 people when you include the families and, and everyone else that may have been there. And you should have seen that place. People were in awe. People were ready to follow Jesus and do whatever he said. He had them literally eating out of the palm of his hand. And I'm thinking, wow, our little crusade, our little church movement, this little itinerant ministry that we've had all over Israel is about to grow from 12 followers to over 15 or to 20,000 people. Now imagine growing a church like that in one day. Then a bunch of people approach Jesus saying that they want to join our little group. Now I'm excited. Peter said, think about all the possibilities for our little ministry. The people are coming to Jesus and begging him to let them join our group. But I'm stunned when Jesus comes back at them with very harsh responses. The first guy that comes up, he says, well, if you come and follow me, you're going to be homeless. The next guy he asks if he can go back and say goodbye to this family. And Jesus said, don't even bother following me if you're going to do that. He keeps doing that. Person after person keeps getting turned away and finally they stop coming. They found the cost of following Jesus to be too high. What today's lesson is going to boil down to is this. Jesus is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same tomorrow. We talk about, about becoming a follower of Jesus or, or being saved. It's not just an emotional decision on our part. Jesus doesn't want just an emotional decision. If you want, if you wanted just an emotional decision, he never would have taught about the, the seeds and the ground in Mark chapter 4. 
Those were emotional decisions. He wants a person who counts the cost for following him. A person who makes a reasoned decision because this mission he is calling us to is not for the faint of heart. And so I want that to be in the front of our minds this morning as we, and focus our spirits on the mission that he has called all of us to do here in this life. The last time we met, we discovered that every person has been called by God for some sort of mission in life. And when we think about that, it can be kind of overwhelming. But I want you to not think about what that means for your future I want you to think for a moment about what that meant for your past. Because when you think that God has a plan, when you think that God has a specific job and mission for you in life, when you look backwards and you see pain, when you look backwards and you see rejection, when you see, look backwards and you see poverty, people making fun of you, enemies, all those bad things that happen in your life, it starts to make sense. It puts it into focus. It puts some clarity to it in saying, wow, God was preparing me for something. God was allowing some of this pain in my life to chip away many of those rough edges so that he can use me later in life to be on mission for him. And last week we talked about God dreaming of you from eternity past. Before he said, let there be light, he was thinking of you. Not only did he think of you, he thought about the mission that you would have in your life for his kingdom. Our big point for the last time we met was that we are all called. Ministry in the kingdom of God is not just for a select few. It's for all of Jesus' followers. Do me a favor. Look to your left and look to your right. April, you don't have too many people there, so you have to look forward. <laughs> Those people that you looked at are all called by God into his mission to do ministry. And guess what? Those people you just looked at, we're all looking back at you the same way. You are called into ministry. You are called into the mission of God's kingdom that he has for such a time as this. So if that's the case, the next obvious question should be, so what am I called to? What's my mission? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus had some strong words about this to his followers that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have, your, have a Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 9. And as you turn there, I'll open in prayer. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this time, use it to focus our minds, our hearts, and our spirits on everything that you have for us for this time. Lord God, we desire to work for you. We desire to live for you. We desire to do whatever it takes to see your kingdom come in the lives of those around us, in the lives of our neighborhoods, in the lives of our families, in the lives of those we love. So whatever it takes in my heart, I ask, Father, that you just do it so that your kingdom can come in the lives of others. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, we're going to go through this uh, verse at a time for a moment. 
Luke 9.51 says, At the time, excuse me, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I want to focus for a moment on that term resolute. Because this verse does not describe a man that is just wandering through life, wondering what's going to happen next. Jesus set his eyes, set his heart, set his entire will on God's plan for his life. Jesus was a man on a mission. He resolutely set out to lay down his life for the sake of other people's salvation. He did this with great intentionality, with great courage. He knew where he was going and that his life is going to be bigger than just himself. He tells us this in Luke 9, 23. He says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus made it clear that the, me that the mission of those who would follow him was the same as his mission. Followers must lay down their lives on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, in fact, for the sake of others being saved. It's not just a one-time event. This is our mission, the mission of our lives on a daily basis from now until Christ returns. To take up a cross. A cross isn't a comfortable thing to carry around, is it? I had a friend um, in Kenosha. He was a little crazy for, for Christ. But he would literally walk around with a, I think it was like a 55 or 60 pound cross and walk up and down one of the busiest streets in Kenosha preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought he was nuts, but he was people who got saved. It was a witness to the community. That's the price of, that we have to pay when we decided to follow Jesus. It was shown to us very recently as we celebrated Pastor Roger's life. He left a legacy to this world. You know, Sally posted a picture of everyone, the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids. This whole altar area was full all the way to the first pew of people that were directly influenced because of Roger's faithfulness. I, didn't, I couldn't even count them in the picture, but there, were, there had to be almost 50 people up here. Now, multiply that into how many people they are going to witness to. How many people will be saved because of their witness? And how many people who are saved because of his ministry? 63 years of ordained ministry for the kingdom of God and the Savior he loved, and he proclaimed it to anyone who would listen. And when we talk about things like mission, when we talk about you know, what Pastor Roger did in life, we look at that and say, I can never do anything like that. That might have been his mission, but I'm not sure that that's my mission. And let me just say, I get it. When I first walked into a church in 1993 and sat way in the back so nobody else would see me and kind of blend into the crowd, if somebody would have walked up to me right then and said, you know what, 27 years, you're going to be a pastor of a church in Whitehall, Wisconsin, and leading a congregation, I probably would have just about choked to death laughing and then run for screaming out of the church because there's no way that God could ever use me to do that. So I get it. Ministry wasn't even a distant thought in my mind. But God had a different plan. 
He looked forward 27 years to see me standing before you today, telling me the same thing my pastor told me then, that today can be huge for you. God's not just inviting you to come to church on Sundays and worship and give some of your hard-earned paycheck each week. He's actually inviting you to join him on this worldwide mission that he has established and he is working throughout the entire planet. If you've been following Jesus for a while and would consider yourself a Christian, you might be nodding in your head saying, yes, I know, God's mission is my mission. Got it, what's next? Or maybe you've gotten to the point of intellectually accepting that your primary mission is to join God in what he's up to, but practically your life looks totally different. So what, what keeps us from our mission? What, what distractions are in our life to keep us from doing the will of God in every part of our life? And I think that's Satan's most powerful tool is distraction. One of the things that we get distracted by, these things. Oop, get that untangled there. Cell phones. How many people have a cell phone? Hold it up, smartphone especially. Yeah, come on, I know most of you are glancing down on it every 30 seconds, checking the time, complaining on Facebook, Pastor John's preaching too long. <laughs> Packers aren't playing until this afternoon, so you don't have to try to find out the scores. Now that we have them all out, let's talk about some statistics on just smartphones. And I, I, I'm standing up here just as guilty as anybody here. Some of the statistics that were recently shown is an average person checks their smartphone 110 times a day. Now, if you're awake for 16 hours, it works out to about nine times an hour or about once every six minutes. 55% of phone users text while driving, which is six times more dangerous than driving drunk. 84% of worldwide cell phone users report not being able to go a single day without their phone. How many people have left their phone at home and immediately turned around even if it took you a half hour to go back and get it? I'm holding up my hand for a reason, not just to get you to do it. Here is an ultimate test if your cell phone might be a distraction or an addiction for you. Before I had you pull out your cell phone, how many of you checked your cell phone during church? I won't ask you to raise your hand for that one. 50% of teens admit to being addicted to their cell phones and that it is something they couldn't live for out. The other 50% need counseling about lying and not being addicted to their cell phones. I use this as an example just to show you one of the ways that we live in a distracted culture. There's a great saying I read a long time ago, and if you're taking notes, write this down and triple underline it. If Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Let me say that again. If Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. He's going to do whatever he can to get you off the mission that you are made for, even if that means you are busy but not productive for the kingdom. And let's be honest. For many of us, he's probably winning, isn't he? In a recent survey out by LifeWay Ministries, 
80% of churchgoers say that they believe they have a personal responsibility for sharing their faith, but 61% said they haven't done that in the last six months. So a majority of us know what the mission is, but the importance doesn't impact the way we live. At the beginning of the message, I said that Jesus had a few challenging words for those who wanted to immediately jump on the bandwagon after he, he multiplied the food for the 5,000. Let's read exactly what he told them. Luke 9:57-62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay your head, or lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. From this passage, we see that Jesus identifies and calls out these three distraction missions that the enemy would try to put into our lives. It's going to pull you away from the mission that Jesus has made you for. The first one is the mission of comfort. A man walks up saying he's ready to follow Jesus. And, simply, and Jesus simply says this mission may lead to homelessness. We don't how, hear, hear how the person responds, but it's heavily, or heavily implied that this was a showstopper for him, that he, his whole desire for, to follow Jesus ended right there. He was totally into following Jesus as long as it didn't take him out of his comfort zone. The only problem is that Jesus doesn't just pull his disciples out of their comfort zone. Jesus is great at blasting away our comfort zones. I mean, just think of all the things that Jesus did to train his disciples. All the things that he had them to do. Jesus routinely sent them out for weeks at a time. No extra cash, no extra clothes, no extra fallback plan, no food, nothing but the clothes on their back and said, trust me and go and proclaim the gospel. Jesus ultimately modeled this for us by dying on the cross through six hours of excruciating pain and torture. Quick question. Many of us have been doing some traveling lately. How many people pray for protection of God? Traveling mercies, we call it. One of those little church things that we do right before we leave. We ask for God's travel mercies. And that's not a bad thing. But I want you to think about that when it comes to our calling and our mission. What if we keep asking for comfort and safety, but Jesus is more about making us a dangerous follower from him and less about keeping us safe all the time? I go back to my friend in Kenosha that was walking around carrying a cross. He was going through some rough areas of town when he was doing that. I mean, there are places where people routinely go and, and die for walking into the wrong area of town. He did it. He had no concern for his safety. 
Let me illustrate this in very practical terms, why God might be doing this. If you've constantly followed Jesus for more than 20 years, hold up your hand for a second. I want to ask you a question. When did you grow in faith the most? During the easy times or during the hard times? During the times of peace and safety or when you were really put to the test? Probably when you were put to the test. And this idea flies completely against our modern mindset. You see it everywhere. Our whole society is about comfort. Walk into Walmart, surf Amazon, and look how all the different ways that this world gives you to make your life more comfortable. One of the best ones I found is an alarm clock that is hooked to a coffee maker so that when the alarm goes off, your, your cup of coffee is already done and sitting right at your bedside. That's just a proof that God loves me. But all humor aside, what happens when comfort becomes a bigger deal in your life than Christ? Most times you're going to choose comfort over Christ. That's why Jesus stresses this to his followers. And it includes you, it includes me, it includes everybody. We need to count the cost when we go, agree to follow him. Comfort's the first distraction, here's the second. And that's a distraction of commitments. Jesus turns to another person and initiates a conversation. He says, follow me. But the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus says back to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. At first this seems like kind of a harsh, weird response to Jesus. And it requires a little bit of context that I found a while ago in some commentaries to understand. This man wasn't just asking to go to his father's funeral. It wasn't like his dad just died or his dad was on his deathbed that, and he, he needed to go to the funeral and, and take care of, of his family. He was wanted to wait until after his father's death, which was years away. Probably the reason for this was he was the eldest son. And the eldest son got the biggest inheritance. And so if he would have gone and, and gone to India or something for Christ, he would have lost all of that wealth, all of that inheritance, all of that place within his family. The meaning for us is this. Jesus clearly conveys that there is an urgency to the mission he has called us to. It's not something we pick up on our schedule finally has some breathing room, but instead it always is our first priority. In the Sermon of the Mount, at one point Jesus says the famous words, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus promises that if we place his kingdom first in our lives, then he will take care of all the other things we love to stress about. So the question and challenge for us this morning, is there anything you've told Jesus, yes, but first let me? Maybe you said or thought about it. Maybe you're thinking about it right now. I'll serve. I'll serve you, Jesus. But first let me get through this busy season. Or I'll give more if I get that promotion at work. 
I'll share my faith, but first let me get more comfortable in my own walk with God. I'll spend more time reading my Bible in the morning, but first let me push that snooze button a few times. While many of the commitments you made may be very good and honorable, New Year's resolutions, whatever they might be, Jesus still tells us that his mission comes first. And if we put him first, everything else that we need will be given to us as well. The third distraction mission the enemy throws in our path is this, the distraction of competition. As Jesus continues to walk along, another man approaches and says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus turns to him and replies, No man who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And once again, it just seems like an unreasonably harsh response from Jesus. And when I read these, these words for the first time and really read them, I didn't understand them. It just seemed like Jesus was being kind of a jerk, to be honest. I didn't understand them. I mean, I can't imagine dropping everything to go on a mission trip with a man I just met, much less without telling my family. It sure seems like it would be incredibly irresponsible. I mean, Jesus didn't have cell phones. He didn't have social media. He, the, the guy couldn't get on social media and said, hey, dear, I'll, I'll be back in two years. I'm going on a missions trip. And man, if, if, if you get that urge, you probably should talk to your wives first. I'm just saying. Otherwise, I'll have to clear my, count, my calendar for marriage counseling. The problem with this man and what he's saying and what it means is this. Jesus, you let me do this or I won't follow you. That's the competition. Have you ever heard the saying, in a sentence, everything before the word but is a lie? I mean, think about it. But is a deadly word to us spiritually when it comes to obeying God. I mean, think about using the word but. What if someone told you, I love you, but, or I'll be there for you, but, or I won't cheat on you, but, I'll follow you, but, wouldn't that kind of put everything they said before the word but in question? Another way to illustrate this would be, how many of you are going to go to work tomorrow morning when the weekend's over and groan when that alarm clock goes off? I think often that carries over into how we see God's calling in our lives. And sometimes it's why we often fail at putting God first. I think we need to change our mindset a little bit on this thing called mission. You see, the thing that God calls us to, it has to be seen as a reward and not just another chore. He wants us to step forward into this calling that he has given us with confidence, with joy, with a sense of fulfillment and feeling his pleasure in our lives. Paul, the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3, he said, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead. 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul found something that most people never find. The answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? It's not money. It's not success. It's not possession. It's not about safety and comfort. It's not about being admired or being popular. Those are all Satan's counterfeits. They're they're put there in front of you to keep you off of mission. Jesus' calling and mission for you is not about creating a following. It's about creating followers. That's your mission in life, to follow him and trust him no matter where he leads. Count the cost. Pick up your cross and follow him. Let's all rise. Just for our prayer time as we close today, I want you to ask God these three questions. First question, God, is my desire for comfort and ease interfering with following you? The second question, are there things competing for my time that cause me to be distracted from picking up my cross and following you? And the third question, am I using all my time, my talents, and my treasure to see your kingdom come in my lives, in my life, and in the lives of those you have placed before me? Lord God, this is not meant as a condemning word, but as a freeing word. When you talk about following, you talk about picking up a cross and following you, you're talking about stripping away all these things in life that compete with you. All these counterfeits that Satan wants to put into our our path to cause us to stumble. Let us all know, Lord, the simple joy of following you and you alone. I ask, Father, that you work in our hearts and our minds to expose those counterfeits that Satan has given us and cast them aside, to let the Holy Spirit convict, to let the Holy Spirit remove, and let the Holy Spirit heal those areas in our life that need those counterfeits so that we can know the complete joy and following you with everything we are. Because ultimately, we're heading to the same destination, and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to live with that thought in mind and everything. Now, Lord God, I just commit your people unto you. I ask, Father, that you take the last few weeks, Father, Bring healing, bring peace, and bring you even deeper into our lives so that when we walk out of here, we are shining the light of Jesus into this community. Lord God, I bless your people now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.